G'day and welcome to episode 124 of the Bloke Pod. And it's a uh, sad day in Australian cricket. Well, it's a sad couple of days. It's a sad yeah. 24 hours. Yep. Probably is a better way to put it. Yes, episode 124 and we've just lost number 350 himself, SK Warren. Mm. Sure he's... Um, Bowling a Zuda to Phil Hughes right now with Rod Marsh standing behind the stumps and Richie and Tony in commentary. Mm. It's ah oh, look, it's I'm going to jump straight in. I have I've just sort of sent a long email to Nath who who sent a very well written email um, to me this morning. Please. I don't I, know uh, what's more surprising. Oh, I know. Yeah, Shane no, that's, yeah. No, Shane but Warren, Rod Marsh, <laughs> Nath, Rod, are you kidding? Yeah. No, but Nath, Nath said he was surprised at how emotional he was um you know saying he loved Shane and saying that Shane Keith Warren is responsible for him being a cricket fan as long as well as the the obvious connect you know that he and I have always had cricket has always been the thing that brought us together you know we both took the day off work yesterday to watch the first day of the test against the Packies um I, I had a very complicated relationship with the King of Spin because he was my favourite player growing up. To this day, my first cricket memory is watching him take his test hat-trick and turning around and braining myself on the couch behind me when I was jumping around in celebration as he did it and getting a blood nose um, and having to call Dad in as I was bleeding all over the carpet and with Shane <laughs> carrying on and Tony still going, Oh, he's got him, he's got him, it's a hat-trick! He's gone, he's gone! One of the all-time great commentary moments, which I'm sure they're reliving right now together but the more I grew up and learned about him the less I actually liked him it's a bit like my relationship with John Lennon in some ways like the more you actually found out about the person the more you didn't want to know sort of thing if that makes sense like that's a that's a rather stark um but very very valid comparison actually mm. I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, like the his his hatred of my favourite ever player in Steve Waugh had a lot to do with that. He had a chip on his shoulder about being dropped in the West Indies and about never being made captain. When in truth, I actually think he would have been a Michael Clark style captain, good on the field and terrible off it because I just don't think he had the man management skills, which is a huge part. And, you know, one of the reasons why I still think Mark Taylor's our best ever captain was it was his man management and the off-field uh, personable aspects of the role that Tubbs excelled at so much. Um, and that, you know, blokes like Alan Border and Steve Waugh would be the first to admit that they didn't get right and, and weren't able to do. Um, you know, Steve Waugh always talks about having Tom Moody as his closest confidant and really leaning on him at times. Alan Border had Bob Simpson basically do a lot of the, the media yeah. and the other soft soft skills of the role. And they brought Dirk Worm into the team at one stage for that very role, funny yeah. enough. Yeah, um, um, yeah. Certainly not a strength of Borders, but I mean, yeah, he was the captain they needed at that point in time. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's... I choose to remember Shane as the on-field genius rather than the off-field flawed individual um, because I think there was a lot not to like about him. He was pure ego. He was very opinionated and he was one of these guys who had his friends 
and his enemies and, and never the twain shall meet. You know, the, you hear the way he speaks about Alistair Cook or Stuart Broad or the blokes he didn't like and compare that to how he speaks about certainly his fellow Victorians and, you know, a lot of the blokes that he had time for. And, you know, they were almost in two completely separate camps. And, yeah, as I say, never the twain shall meet. Um, but at the end of the day, like I said in my email to Nath, the ball of the century is still the single most erection-inducing cricket moment of all time as far as I'm concerned. Anyone can rip the ball, especially these days. You know, anyone can give it a tweak. But that drift, the way he controlled the drift, before, like pre-shoulder you surgery, to, yeah. you, you know, pre-diuretics, and all the, the rest. The thing you have to keep in mind is first ball he's ever bowled in yeah. a test match in that country. Yeah. Like, and I, I remember watching it live, and I was like, did he just hit the wicket there? Yeah. Like, surely not. Yeah. I was like, my like, Gannon. My Gannon, yeah. I was like, <laughs> surely he didn't just hit the wicket. Yeah. As, uh, as one of the English writers said at the time, the you know, the fact that someone could spin the, a ball the width of Gatting simply beggars belief. <laughs> yeah. But no, that, that, like, the way it gets sort of a third of the way down the pitch and then it's mm. it's like it's got a homing missile on it. The, yeah. the drift down and then the rip back. It, it's the ball and it's forever. The top, the top of off stuff yeah. too. Like it's just like perfect. perfect. Yeah. Like, you know, but Mike getting his look at the wood with as he's walking off. Mm. Just to say that surely that didn't just happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stuff like that. Um, yeah, and and so many so many cricketing moments. Like, it's funny, I've got the uh, Adam Zwar book, 12 Summers here, which is a book that he's written about his life and how the moments of his life coincided with big cricket moments. And who else is on the cover but Shane Warne in the two-arm celebration. So many of the great moments of my generation stem from Warne. I mean, he... Say what you will about his relationship with Steve War. They, you know, during that... Um, it was when they were over in England they you know Tugger talks about it in his autobiography they went to the park and um, you know had it out together and um, basically just decided you know we've we've got to come to terms with how we're going to work together and and play and you hear a lot of these stories about blokes he didn't like Adam Gilchrist is another one who he hated the Richie Cunningham type vice captain but then Gilly tells a story of um one on a flight where it was just uh, two of them and a few of the backroom staff who were flying over together. It must have been before an IPL or something like that. So it was a weird sort of, you know, just the two of them. And Gilly had uh, an economy class seat and Warney, of course, is up in first class. And when Warney found out that Gilly was back there on his own, he switched seats with the guy who was next to Gilly. So gave that guy his first class seat and sat there and talked cricket to Gilly the entire flight and as much as you don't like him and don't like some aspects of his personality there are a thousand and one little stories like that about how generous in spirit he was and you know what a good bloke he could be a lot of the time and yeah that's how I'd rather remember him I'd rather ignore his you know his Steve War baiting and the Mark Taylor's the best captain I ever played under and, you know, spin bowling was an afterthought under war and ponting and those little chips Darren, on his Darren shoulders. Darren the best wicketkeeper. Oh, it, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny you talk about stories. I mean, I, obviously, I actually have a show in what mm. the story's kind of weird enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
It's a year he was uh, suspended, and obviously, you know, there's a lot of things with Shane Warne, and I think you you kind of hit on that in terms of what happened outside the arena. Mm. Um, so it's the year he was suspended, and the the I'm pretty sure it was um, it was an Ashes series. Um, I can't remember exactly, but anyway, they were. It was the the cricket team was over here, and it was a test match on, and he was actually commentating. Um, and anyway, I was out at um, one of the Perth establishments having a beverage or two. And to be honest, I can't remember who I was with, but I would have been with somebody. Um, I actually think it was one of my one of my mates from uh, high school. Mm. And um, anyway, as we we saw we saw a few of them there at different stages, and they were um, you know they were having a good time. And um, you know, as we were walking out, Shane Warren was just in front of us, probably. 50 or so metres in front of us and I see him walking towards a cat and he's standing there with his mobile phone sitting there clearly texting very, very fast. Mm. And this was around the time, obviously, that the the issues with regards to his wife and yeah. some of those things would come out. So anyway, he gets in the cab and I turn to the, turn to the person with me um, and I said, oh, warning's, warning's texting somebody, that never ends well. Not knowing... That the uh, the window of the cab was down, <laughs> and Shane Keith warned her every single word that I said. And I'm like, and you know, the guy's next to me, he's just like looking, going, "Ooh, okay." And anyway, I turn back and look, and he's just got this biggest shit-eating grin on his face, gives me the thumbs up. <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah." So yeah. Uh, he could see, he could certainly see the humour in the um, in the in the thing as well. Yeah, I mean it. it it's, it's a funny one for me. I mean, to be honest, I feel a little bit more for Rod Marsh, and I think that that's probably more uh, a function of our age, Yeah. to be honest. Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, people probably don't know, but there is a bit of an age difference between the yeah. two of us. You probably wouldn't know it the way we talk. No. But, um, yeah. Rod Marsh was the, you know, he was around when, you know, I was growing up and first started watching cricket as well. And, you know, certainly, um, you know, I was a very young boy when he retired, but, um, you know, a lot of memories of, of him as well. Uh, I mean, the job that... It's, and, I mean, it's not just, you know, him setting the way for, for cricket during that time. I mean, he left a rather substantial hole, him, Chapel, Lily, all going, mm. coupled with the Rebel Tours. Like, Australian cricket was an absolute mess. Yeah. Um, and you know, funnily enough, that you know the intersection of the two people that we're talking about, you know, heads up the cricket academy, starts yeah. a cricket academy in Adelaide. People like Shane Keith Warren going through there, and you know the golden getting gen- kicked out, yeah, getting <laughs> kicked out. But the golden generation of cricketers that came during McGrath, the Ponting, yeah, all those, guys all of those guys, too, yeah. it was under Rod Marsh's tutelage, arguably the most underrated contributor in terms of off field like everyone Absolutely. remembers his contributions on the field but I mean I'd, England yeah. wouldn't have won the 2005 yeah. Ashes without him heading up their academy that's right and, and I mean that and then you know his role as a selector for yep. Australia as well I mean he he certainly paved the way for so for so many people during mm. that time and you know certainly so many memories of of him as well and um, yeah, the, yeah it right. was the one story I love is that is um just before the 2005 series when the word was that Graham Thorpe was going to get a run in the side and someone, uh, one of the Aussie commentators who was over there said, oh, so they're going to pick KP? 
Oh, well, I better fucking pick him because they're not going to win without him. <laughs> and yeah, like a, a really, um, you know, you think of like the Richie Benos of the world and these blokes who left huge off-field legacies. Rod Marshes, in his own yeah. way, was every bit as significant as that. But because he was behind the scenes and didn't chase the limelight or the, you know, the accolades and the and the acclaim for what he did. Um, yeah. A very, very underrated individual, like a good yeah. wicketkeeper. You don't notice him until he's... Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> until you have to fill and his I role. Mean, he certainly... I don't think Adam Gilchrist happens without Rob Marsh. Mm. And I don't think a lot of these current guys happen without Adam Gilchrist. Yeah, and Ian Healy talks about Rod Marsh, mm. you know, having a transformative effect on his career. Early on, Rod Marsh tried to help him with a lot of coaching and training and, and, and discipline and how he should be doing his golf ball drill and everything yeah. and he tells a story of behind the scenes you know after they won one of his first tests against the West Indies and he was taken a few catches and performed well and Rod Marsh came up to him at the bar and said right you little and so and so you know if you're not going to listen to me then I'm not going to have anything to do with you and he goes well, what are you talking about and he said oh you've not listened to anything I've said about positioning and mm. you know how you're moving your gloves and everything else like that and and he said you know he was on the radio this morning he said in some ways that was almost the making of their relationship because he could tell how passionate he was and how much he cared about he was mm. on field performance it didn't matter that the the team had won and that he was taking a few good catches. Mm. Rod Marsh wanted him to be better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. look, yeah, incredibly, incredibly sad day. Like, blokes like that don't come around that often. Yeah. <laughs> for I Shane mean, for, for his on-field and Rod better, Marsh for his off-field, I'd I mean, say. yeah, to be blunt about it, I mean, for better and for worse, they're mm. larger-than-life characters. Yeah. And... I mean, Dad still tells a story of, you know, being in the city one day out with his mates and, you know, Rod Marsh and and, and Doug Walters staggering out of a cab, one of them throwing up by the side of the road and then walking into the uh, the nearest hotel for, to hit the pub there. Like, the, the last thing I'll say, and they said, look, apologies, you know, I've had... A few drinks, as Shane would have had, and as uh, when they interviewed AB before, he said he had some whiskey and guava juice to dull the pain last night because that was all he had in his house. Um, but I think the beauty of cricket is that the game goes on. Um, you know, we're still playing a test match uh, against the Packies at the moment. I was when I went to see Mum and Dad this morning. I saw the kids playing in the park, um, playing cricket, and I thought that's. Part of the beauty of sport is that you're not remembered solely as an individual, but it's the contributions that you made and the feats you performed. And Warney's got a highlight reel as long as anyone to yeah. have ever played well, the game. Right. I think, you know, that that's exactly it. He's, he's 700-odd wickets. Back-to-back mm. would be very, very attractive watching. He, yeah. he had some very special dismissals over his time. Yeah. Um, the yeah. 99 World Cup. Semi-final against the Saffirs always yeah. sticks with me, and the way like you could see there the come on, come on after the first two wickets where mm. he single-handedly hauled that team over the line through sheer force of will. The two SWs will always be the defining um, players of my mm. formative years, if you will. You know, I love Mike Hussey, I love Ryan Harris, but Steve Waugh and Shane Warne were the blokes I grew up with, and two of the very best. Mm. So rest in peace, Bacchus and Warney. Yeah. Bold chain.
So, Jade, we'll change tack completely here as a, a Man United fan. How are you enjoying the Cristiano experience? The world's, the world's most expensive and most petulant player. <laughs> I mean, and uh, fresh from uh, scoring one point against Watford in your two games against them this season. <laughs> that, that, that is shameful. They might go down this year and you got a win and a draw against them. I lost a lot of draw against them, I should say. The loss was... Uh, I think the loss was at home too. It, yeah, it? it was... Was you the all Yeah, that, that was it. Was it like yeah, four or five goals? I think it was four nil off. Yeah. 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 Um, oh, look. It's symptomatic. I mean... What's happened? Ronaldo is symptomatic of the Manchester United experience over the last few <laughs> years. Pretty much, to be honest, since Alex Ferguson left. Yeah. I mean... It's I feel, I feel like everything is still being done in the shadow of his legacy. Well, I think that the problem is is that there's no overarching strategy mm. with what mm. they're doing. It's, you know, you will probably like the analogy of this, they build a fantasy football team rather than a football team. <laughs> it's that let's go out and get the most expensive young players that we possibly can and then worry about whether we can make it work as a team mm. on the pitch after that. Yeah. I mean, come on. Like, that's not how these things work. And, you know, they spend so much money. They throw so much money in the transfer window. Pogba, Martial, <laughs> Harry Maguire, who is the well, most expensive defender... Well, in the I'd English Premier League. Like, explain that to me. I mean, and you're talking about guys that are still there. What about, you know, Mkhitaryan, Sanchez, Angel yeah. um, Di Maria, guys yeah. like this that they brought in. Big money, big reputations. Actually, you know, for the most instance with a lot of these guys, have been successful in their next step. Yeah. Memphis Depay, like, That's one of the major bad. bust. One of the bad things they always used to say about the Fremantle Dockers is that they'd bring players in, they'd do nothing, and then they'd move somewhere else and they'd perform much better. Yeah. Like so the, it's, the, the Lockie Neal yeah. <laughs> uh, case study, basically. So I think, and I mean, you know, it's... it's I, I don't have a problem with them going after Ronaldo. I... I'm a bit worried about what happens next. I mean, oh, and it's more just the, like the, apparently now there are two cliques in the like there are two groups in the dressing room: those who speak Portuguese and those who don't. Yeah, and I just think it's the next hire is just so important. And why are they planning for this? They seem to keep making these stopgap decisions. Well, like they don't every, take, and, it, and it's to the Van point is that they haven't taken David Moyes and. Ollie and I even Ragnar, it was just like, oh, who's out there that we can quickly I mean, get? There's, there's no real thought process. It's actually there. quite funny. I was I was fine with Moyes. The problem was is that, you know, we probably didn't think about the way he wanted to play. He's, you know, the challenge you have with these mid-tier guys who step up to the next level, part mm. of the reason why they've been successful is their game style is a yeah. lot conservative. Yeah, they, they and, form know, teams that are greater than the sum of their parts, basically. Yeah. And, you know, that doesn't work well with these big ones. Mm. I was never on the overrated one train. Oh, yeah, how did I forget him? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, Louis van Gaal, I mean, his time was well and truly... You know, he, he'd been out of the, the system for a while, but once again, not playing a style that's commensurate with how the modern game's been Lest, played. Lest we forget the old 5-3 uh, Leicester <laughs> debacle. Oh. <I> <laughs> I mean, look, Ollie at least kind of gave him a bit of spirit. Now, I mean, can I? He's, he's, 
They've performed. They've, they've radically underperformed. There's no doubt about oh, yeah. that. Oh, we were just saying that for the last five years they've been the most expensive team in the world in yeah. terms of dollar value of their players. Haven't won a trophy. Yeah, but it's but it's the thing is you know by by you know and Donny Vanderbeek is a perfect example of this. Bring oh, this guy over yeah. and basically don't play him. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it goes goes out on loan to another club and stars in his first game. Yeah. You know, uh, but this is the thing, like there's no plan. Bummy Yang likes this message. There's there's no plan. (laughs) Yeah. And and that's the frustrating part. Uh, as I said, this this next hire is so, mm, so important. And and so you already think he's He'll be gone by this time next year. Oh well, I mean, he Ranginick's made it pretty clear he doesn't want to hang around, yeah. doesn't he? I mean, he's he's gone there for the consulting role, yeah, another managerial role. Um, I have to say, like, and I know you won't agree with this. I think, other than maybe Moyes, and even then, the Mourinho pick made more sense than any of the others. And I know you're just not a fan of the bloke in general, no. but but oh, but he's got the pedigree. Of having managed big clubs to hugely successful yeah. and he's results, also, so. also has the pedigree of. Uh, well, I mean, the problem was firstly that was a long way in his past. Oh, I think it wasn't that long ago. By that stage, and he also has the reputation of dividing. Yeah. The uh, but, and fracturing the clubs. Oh, but I mean, right? I mean, you just you look at Bruno Fernandes and um, yeah. and Cristiano Ronaldo right now. I think that the but I mean the, the thing is, you know, and Harry they Potter haven't, as made, they, haven't made, they haven't they haven't made great managerial choices, mm. but I actually don't think that that's the problem, and that's the scary part. The problem is the people who hire the people who go into these situations. Mm. Yeah, and um, well, yes, and the fans have uh, certainly made their opinions known on that, haven't they? Yeah. Lest we forget the Liverpool Man U game yes. last year. Mm. But I, I, they're almost like they're the anti money ball. Yeah, it, if, if you know what I mean. I'll, I'll say it this way, and you'll get what I mean. And I hate using this analogy, but they're the New York Yankees. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, they're, they're obviously, yeah. Um, but at least the Yankees still had some success. <laughs> they haven't for a while. Yeah, true. Um, Not since the G2 years. <laughs> but I think. Um, yeah, but like I just I just look at Ronaldo now, and it's every time you just look at the money and think. It, as I say, it's the anti-money ball. You just think how that money could have been. But how much? Like how the fuck is Harry Maguire the most expensive defender in English football? Yeah. Other than the fact that he's English, <laughs> that, that does not make one dick of sense. Seriously, well, the English part is the reason, oh, unfortunately. Yeah, but and also for the record, on a similar note, Jack Grealish this this season has as many assists as the Liverpool goalkeeper. So, hundred and twenty million pounds well spent there. Thanks for coming, boys. And he's also worth as much as the Southampton Football Club, apparently, because that's how much they paid for them. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, yeah. It's... Come, can't you come back, Jack? Can't you come back and be be our douche? <laughs> you know, we loved you when when you were our douche. <laughs> now you're just a douche. <laughs> yeah, come back and be our douche again. That's <laughs> what happens when you go to the big clubs, though, from these mid-tier mm. things. Yeah. Congratulations, you're now a situational player. Yeah. 
And I, look, look we've, we have discussed this several times in the past, as Jamison can tell because he's throwing the recorder away in disgust there. But um, these blokes, I will never understand how, if football is their life, if football is their passion, then why you wouldn't stay at the smaller... Be a Charlie Austin at QPR who is still there to this day. Get paid more money than you can spend in a lifetime to be the man, the linchpin, the centrepiece of a smaller club, rather than getting paid more money than you could spend in 20 lifetimes to play somewhere else and be a professional bench warmer. I do not understand it. Lalana at Southampton, you know, who goes to Liverpool and then plays like maybe two games in the Premier League the next season. Christian Benteke going to Liverpool as well like why Jack Grealish going to Manchester City all these guys why they would go from being oh yeah absolutely why they would go from being the man at a smaller club and still like everyone's like oh because they're getting paid more money they weren't going to be short of a buck let me tell you they still would have been getting probably like 50% of these smaller clubs budgets so it would have still been seven figures easily so I, I do not understand it. It's just stupid money is all it is. Stupid, stupid well, it's money. money ball. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, the problem is, is that, you know, the big clubs can afford to make these kinds of mistakes. Mm. It's, and I mean, it's funny, you know, I, I mean, you know, we haven't actually talked about this at a broader level, but it's very Formula One-ish. Is that the big teams can, the big, the big teams can afford to make mistakes and the little teams yeah. can't. And, and as they always say with the Formula One, there are a hundred thousand working parts in a Formula One car. So if you get it ninety nine percent right, there's still a thousand things wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, lo- I love that quote. That didn't really work there, but I'm just shoehorning it in anyway. Yeah. But um, yeah, as for yeah. me, I'm really enjoying the Steven Gerrard experience at the moment. And the thing I love the most about him is that there's not even a hint of bullshit. Like, there's, there's no... He, he deflects all the praise onto the players and he takes all the criticism on himself. And when there's things like contentious red cards, they'll interview him afterwards and he'll either... Like, the two I've heard are, oh, it was a definite red card. That was it. Now, when was the last time you heard a manager say that? Mm. Or, I don't necessarily agree with it, but the ref's in a tough situation and he's made the right call. Mm. Everything he says is the, right, is the thing you want to hear your manager saying. And, oh, man, if we could get Suarez next season. <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you think? <laughs> Come on. Like, I mean, say what you will about, oh, say what you will about you are, Coutinho. I was just going to say, you are a little bit of the Liverpool retirement home. Yeah, well. yeah. But, but that's the thing is, like, I feel like he, these blokes will play for him. <laughs> Suarez is an absolute cunt. <laughs> let, let, let's get that on the record. A biting cunt. But if he comes in and he's... It's a bit like Bill Laurie getting told, no, I don't want to commentate, and then getting told, oh, your first test captain has asked for you by name. I feel like Suarez could like could have a, an absolute blinder if he comes and plays for Stevie G. I don't know. We probably don't have the money for him anyway, but... I'm like I'm I'm enjoying the Coutinho experience at the moment. Like, mm. you know, we we might have paid overs for him, but hell, we had fifty million pounds burning a hole in our pocket. And like the Danny Ings, one has really just I really like Danny Ings. I was so excited about that, 
because I always used to say about him, he just knows how to score. He's a bit like Charlie Austin. Even if he's in a shit team, he just puts the ball in the goal. He hasn't done it for us. Whereas Coutinho, even to look like... We're, you know, we're a mid-table team. We're, we're just above the relegation zone in terms of, you know, where we sit. But even just, like, there's little things that you can see Coutinho do, and it's just like, oh, yeah, like, this, this guy's a class. He's a, he's a class act, <laughs> as opposed to a real scrappy player. <laughs> it's really, it's really yeah, exactly. It had to be done. Yes. Anyway, I'm, I'm just happy to talk about Villa because they finally broke their duck and won 2-0 last week, unlike me losing to, one, to Big D by one point. Ah! We're still top of the table, though. <laughs> Take that, Bitterman. Well, what, actually, while we're talking about things like this, are our two AFL teams going to finish in the bottom six this year? Yes. I think so, too. Yes, absolutely. West Coast are fucked. Oh, yeah. Why they made the call to not to rebuild at the end of last season. Like, come on, all right, come on. Now I know I'm going to get you fired up. Yes. Why? Like, Mark Duffield, I remember driving home from the Metrics Family Day where we had been playing, I had been playing football with Polar Bear's son at Lathlane Park, and they had Mark Duffield on talkback, and he said, I think 12 months from now we'll be sitting here saying, geez, West Coast made a bad call trying to go one more time. Well, I think you know... And you will remember this. So I, when they lost that qualifying final to Collingwood a couple of years ago now, I said, that's it, the premiership window just shut. Mm. I could see it then. Yeah. And that was two years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, I mean, I think part of the problem for so many of them is that they have that premiership medal too. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, I, the fact that Jeremy McGovern is now like one of, he's in the top 10 highest paid players in the league this season. That is galling. Oh, you're, you're really going to, you're really, you're really making the <laughs> I thought it was, I, at the time, I thought it was crazy to pay big money to an intercept to send defender, mm. even when he was at the peak. Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, the problem is that. They're old and they're slow and they're complacent. They yeah. they've won their medals. Like there's, if there's, West Coast, if, well, if Dom Sheed doesn't kick that goal against Collingwood, yeah, we've had. I feel like game. yeah, they have a completely well, different I mean, if team. Dom, if Dom Sheed doesn't kick that goal against Collingwood, Nathan Buckley's still coaching. Oh him, yeah, Simpson's not. Yeah, it's yep. as simple as that. Yep. And um, Sam Mitchell might be West Coast coach right yeah. now, rather than rather than Hawthorne. Yeah. Yeah. And. I think it's it's just the hubris. Like they, yes, they turned. Yes. You know, they've turned. They turned up. You know, they they sulked their way through. As soon as things got too hard with yeah. COVID, they, they, they went. Nah, we'll put the queue in the rack yeah. till next season. And I mean, the problem is, is that except like, except for certain individuals, Josh Kennedy, and the blokes who didn't win premiership yeah. medals in Nick Nadley oh, yeah. and Brad Shepherd. I mean, it's yeah, and and yeah. Andrew Gaff to a lesser extent. Gaff. Mm. Yeah, I mean. Look, yeah, it's they're old, and, and I mean the problem is, is that with the old guys, old guys get injured more, and I mean you yeah, know, they and they're not they all like get... Kennedys where they're going to run themselves into the ground. That they, they yeah. like Kennedy. There's I've got of, so much more um, respect for him having seen his last two years when he's past it. Let's face it, you know he doesn't have it, but he's still every game. It's like watching Brad Sewell. 
every game you know you're going to get 100% from him. Complacent is such a good word to describe. Mm. It really is. Um, I, I was, I was going to maybe go with conditional. But, um, yeah. you know, they go when they want to go. It's close in the alphabet. Play, yeah. <laughs> Next up in the dictionary, they, yeah. You know, they go when they want to go. They yeah. play hard when they want to play yeah. hard. When they, they knocked off Richmond last year and everyone was, you know, talking well, I mean, about was, them. And I mean, it was funny because, I mean, it was the end of the slide for that as well. I mean, yeah. they... But, you know, they, they paid too much for Tim Kelly, I said it at the time. Mm. Um, you know, and it's, it's things like that that, you know, you better get it right because if you don't... You're in five years of pain at best. And it's, at best. It's, and that's where, they, that's where they're going to be. It's when they made that judgment call to say, no, we're going to roll the dice one more time, how do they look at Melbourne, at the Western Bulldogs, yeah. at Richmond, at these other teams, at Geelong, well, and think well, we can match it with well, them? I to think that beat the problem the is, is that they looked at Geelong and Geelong. Oh, but like, even Geelong, at least, like, Geelong have got. Old players but who I are better than West Coast's old players. I, I wouldn't say it's Geelong. It's it's Sydney. It's Brisbane. Yeah. It's these these. It's Fremantle yeah, who will leapfrog them this oh. season. This is the year. Here's my bold call. I reckon Frio are going to be in and around the top four. Yep. Absolutely. Can, they yeah, are building they are, something. They are positioned perfectly. Yeah. Now the challenge that they're going to have. Rory Wobb has to get off his ass. Oh, yeah. Stop fuck, bitching. Fuck. And Who wants to go back to GWS? Seriously. Go back to GWS? If oh. if they get a career year out of Rory, Rory Wobb, they'll finish top four. Yeah. I really believe that. Yeah. They've got every other piece. The defence is there. The defence has been there for like three years mm. and people just haven't noticed. Um, well, and Alex Pierce. Hasn't been able to get on the but park. I mean, and Joel Ham. But I mean, even without those guys, mm. they've been they've been Luger. <laughs> they've been rock solid yeah. back there. The midfield's coming on nicely. Oh yeah. And I mean, the great part is about it for them is, is you know wait till they get like Heath Chapman and Hayden Young and these types of guys running. And Will Brody, well. they're already talking about him as a. Well, I mean, huge you know, Brayshaw, Sarong, Brody. Yeah. I mean, Brody, good pickup. I mean, yeah. I think Jordan Clark will run through there a bit more, mm. and that's before you even start talking about Fife, Mundy, yeah. Walters. These Who, Mundy? I mean, oh, what a that's one of the all time, you know, for the. And I mean, where where the fuck is that from the West Coast old stages, hey? Well, yeah. The, like, that's, but that's what I mean, you know? Like, but I mean, Mundy is eking out every last ounce of performance that he can. Yeah, you can't say that about Jeremy McGovern. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, no! <laughs> As I call him, Jeremy McDonald. <laughs> yeah, uh, more pounds than ounces these yeah. days. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I, I can... I, the, you know, the question mark is still the forward line for me. And particularly tall yeah, forwards. they tall still forward. haven't found it. It's like... Tall forwards. Um, the Australian batting lineup hasn't looked good since Huss retired. The free yeah. forward line hasn't looked good since Pavlich retired. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, that's the question. I, I think, you know, it might be one of these situations where they... You know, much if, as they if don't... If Tabs can string it together... Yeah, but they, everybody says that. But Tabs is like Fremantle Jared White. Yeah. Like, everybody's going to be talking about his potential when he's 35. Yeah. Um, Brad Scott likes this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they may have to play five forward. Yeah. Um, but even like, and that wouldn't be the worst thing in the yeah, world. Yeah, and even like Sean Darcy's another one who I just think, oh, 
the sky is literally the limit for him, you know? Mm. Like, that is exactly what you want in that he's a young key position player who's got his best years in front of him rather than behind him. Yeah. And that's exactly yeah, what you can say about I, so many I, I of the think, players. Yeah, I'm bullish on them this year. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, uh, uh, the big I, one the for me is that is, I think they'll finish think, like eight spots ahead of the Eagles think, this year. I think the other thing that I'll say about them is, is that I think that they've finally got a coach with a, you know, a, a plan that's clear. Yeah, a man with a plan. Yeah. The Brian Kendrick. Yeah. So, uh, and he's like he's he's a bit like the Stephen Gerrard, you know, because everything he says in his press conferences is exactly what you want to hear. Well, I mean, I loved his comment about um, you know, I get reminded about how the how the year ended every single time I log into my phone and I see the score from our last game. Mm. But you know, stuff like that. Um, yeah, and I mean, yeah, as I said, the, the, there are. I mean, look, the other variable is always away. I mean, there's going to be two significant variables for the for Frio. I think this year, firstly, is you know, can they get their, can they keep their best guys on the park? That's always been a challenge for them. And the right. second one is is that COVID still does linger over. Yeah, I mean, everything. hopefully now it should. Hopefully, we've put pay to that now. Um, for me, that like the biggest. Question mark. And this is a guy who I I said for years he was their most important player. Michael Walters had a stinker of a season last year. He was he was ordinary. He's actually last been season. off the ball for a couple of years. Yeah, but last season in particular, and he might be like the the AFL's Bamadeli Ali, someone who just couldn't get their head around COVID. Like there have been guys like that who are supremely talented, but just have not been able to hack oh. the COVID situation. I don't know whether that. I don't know anything about his personal situation, but it feels I like. Think, I mean, it's there's a bit of the Hayden Ballantyne is that once he's lost that yard of pace, he's a very I, I different player that, as I well. Think that that's more what it is. Yeah, and I think it's that, and you know, the the umpires cottoning cottoning onto some of his. Mm. Um, Let's just embellishments. Say yeah, let's say that. <laughs> but I mean, you know, William Henry is another guy. I mean, it's hilarious. Mm. I was going through the names of all these guys, and I didn't even mention William Henry. Yeah, He's probably the most exciting in the lot. Um, oh, I still take the wrong man. Mm. I really like Caleb's wrong. And yeah, even um, I, I think Henry's just got that little bit of polish about him. Um, yeah. yeah so. Hopefully, you can do what another Liam did, and that is just you know. I feel like a lot of these guys, like, every time I see that, oh, like, Liam Ryan has had to deal with racist comments on social media, it's like, really, there are racists on social media? In other news, water is wet. Like, it's how you prove the haters wrong, you know, to to use a stupid expression. But I look at Liam Henry and it's just... There's something missing. I I need to see... Just that final five percent. Well, they're playing. I think they're playing him up the ground. Well, they're planning to play him up the ground this year, and I think that that'll make a difference. He's he he strikes me as a type of guy who's going to be good in space. Yeah. Um, And yeah, just he's just got that little bit of polish about him. He does like. It's going to this is going to sound a bit racist, but there's a bit of Stephen Hill about him. In in that, like, you just he's probably more. I mean, I, I. I see more Brad Hill than Stephen Hill, which is a bit funny. Ooh. But I think he's got a bit more... He's got Stephen Hill's polish with the ball. Yeah. Brad Hill's running capability. Yeah, okay, yeah. No, I'm, I'm in more with the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's... Just, yeah, maybe... And maybe it's just because of the... 
24-hour news cycle, but a lot of these indigenous blokes, all you ever hear about them is this sort of shit. And, oh, they've had another uncle die in the Northern Territory and they've had to go up there for the funeral. Oh, oh they've been racially abused on social media. Like, Liam Ryan is... Or, you know, oh, he can't do the time trials and he's got skinfold problems and, and all this other stuff. Liam Ryan is the, is the poster boy for, I'm not an athlete, I'm a footballer. And he has just been such a breath of fresh air as, you know, as, as someone who I thinks mean, that the, the, the shift from uh, beep, you know, goal-kicking accuracy to beep tests has been the great downfall of this sport. I love Liam Ryan. I mean, Ryan the hilarious thing about it is, is that, you know, I mean, look, I'm, you know, I'm really hoping that Wooey can come back as well. I'm worried about him because yeah. he's aged and it's a long time now. But to your point, they're footballers. But the funny thing about them is, is that they're actually footballers who are good runners, but they're not trained to be good runners. No. They're just natural. They just yeah. know where to go. Yeah. They know where to go to find the ball. They know where to go to find space. And they know where to put it when it needs to be put somewhere yeah. too. They don't gut run. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, I think it's... You know I mean, the old I'm, I'm, work, 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 don't work hard, work smart? A lot of these guys, they don't run hard, they and run I'm, smart. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll choose my words carefully, and it's not a function of the situation, but like I'm falling out of love with AFL football because it, a, a lot of the stuff that made it so great and made it so exciting has been sanitised out mm, of the game. Yeah. You know, what made it so great was, you know, guys flying for big mm. marks. You know, one on one contests yeah. between key defenders and key forwards, yeah. not just who's been able to gut run back yeah. fast enough to man yeah. someone up. All of these things, and that's one yeah. of the things I hate the most about the modern game is when the ball gets kicked to space, and rather than having a forward and a defender there in a one on one contest with you know Darren Glass beating Tony Lockett with a spoil or something like that is, oh, it's two blokes who are running back with the flight of the ball. No. They take the mark, and then it's, oh, who's running past me? Who, it's it's yeah. running with the flight of the ball rather than watching the yeah. ball come towards you. It's becoming, I mean, yeah, it's, it's becoming more uh, water polo slash rugby mm. than, it is, than it is football. And everyone hates the whole netball thing about having three players in both 50 yards. I actually think it would solve so many of their oh. problems. Well, I was with the boy for take the wingers out. That would also solve a lot of the problems. Because mm. um, everyone just says, oh, that's like netball, so we can't do that. But it no. would bring back the, the contests between key defenders and key forwards. Just like that. It solves yeah. that issue. Mm. But there's not enough will to actually make it. Because it, like, it's been tarnished forever by the, oh, netball's a girl's sport and we can't be seen to be doing something like that. It, that's sort of from well, I mean, the outside looking in, that's what it seems like to me. I feel like I'm, I'm looping back to the start here, but Seinfeld-esque. The, you know, <laughs> I like the it. Pe- the people who are controlling the, the game, mm. I don't trust them to do what's yeah, right. Absolutely. And... I, I trust them to think about their KPIs. Yep. I trust them to think yep. about their bonuses. I trust them to think about what's best for Victoria. Teams that play each other twice in seven weeks now because we don't have a fair and equitable fixture like we used yeah. to where everyone would play each other once and then you'd have seven repeated games. No, it's how do we maximise the number of blockbusters so attendances yeah. go up and we hit our key metrics. Yeah. 
So uh, and as, I just yeah. I, Every year when the AFL comes back, I'm just reminded again. I mean, it's, it's a joke of a it sport. Is, it like, is, it and really as I is. Say, it's kind of funny. Is I, I veer away from that, and I, and as I said, I, I mean, I talked about it earlier. I watched a lot more Formula One than I watched AFL last year, mm. <laughs> and I, the, I just you know the 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 fascination of that sport is is that you know there's a bit of the haves and the have-nots, but it's the battle in the middle that's actually really fascinating. Yeah. Because there's five or six teams that realistically, depending on the weather, depending on the track, depending on the tyres that are actually being used for that particular race, they jockey, you know seriously what? jockey. It's exactly why I've always preferred women's T20 to men's T20, because there's far more strategy, tactics, thinking involved than just, oh, he's got a bit of bat on that and there's no fielder outside the rope, it'll go for four. Mm. Like, there's a lot more intrigue yeah. Shall we say? And plus, Formula One gives you the chance to see Lewis Hamilton lose a world championship in the last five seconds of the season. So, Woo! yeah, you yeah. <laughs> can't put a price on that. To, to a guy that's arguably as big as Dick as him. Oh doing, yeah. Uh, no, but the, the, oh, oh, and now he's come out saying, "Oh yeah, there are certain uh, officials who are biased against certain drivers." Like coming to beat Dick oh. away from playing the race card. Taking a knee before every race is like, yes, because a world in which you are literally like in the top five paid sportsmen on the planet and you're black, yeah, it must be racism. It must be racism that's holding you down, Lewis. I mean, he could possibly be the fact that you're a giant dick turd. To to be fair to him, he got seriously shafted. Oh, yeah, he did, but it couldn't happen to a more deserving bloke. Seriously shafted. And that's Aussie, Aussie, Aussie for the the Aussie guy who made that call and has since been relieved of his duties. Yeah, as he he bloody well should have been because he made up a rule. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope he did it because Lewis was black. No. <laughs> well, that, come on, that, that's the that's the conspiracy oh. theory that Lewis Hamilton oh. would have us all believe. No. So did, why not? He, but, he did it. Steer into it. <laughs> he did it. I mean, he Christian Horner was just badgering him. Yeah, which it was ridiculous. I mean, we. We had the. It, it was so funny that we had this farce of a situation earlier in the year where they did three laps and they did. They basically raced under the safety car. Yeah. Which was just insane. And then at the end of the year, they're saying, "Well, we can't finish a race under a safety car." Well, guess what? You did it earlier in the year. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think he wanted the grandstand finish. Well, I, I don't know. I, feel like... I, I, I always joke about this with my old man, and I'm not saying this happened or didn't happen, but keep in mind, F1's just got some new owners recently, and they're they're big on trying to push into the US market. Mm. What better way to do it than have a controversial ending to the thing, controversial nice. ending to the year with with potential racist undertones? Well, I mean, <laughs> Drive to Survive is just going to be fascinating watching, yeah. which is exactly what the US the US owners want for the US market. Yeah. For greater appeal into that. The new movement is Black Drivers Matter. (laughs) Congratulations, Michael Massey. Here's your golden handshake. 20 million in it. You did your job well, mate. You generated all this interest. But, sorry, your position's untenable. You're out of here. And and that's how it should have been. His position was untenable. And... But as he, I look, said, he did balls it up. I, as at I the say. same time, I, I think I think the US owners would have loved every minute of it. Yeah, they were 
As a side. Lewis, this is what goes around just, like a safety car, and this is what no. comes around. <laughs> I just hate the fact that we have to say the phrase world champion Max Verstappen. But anyway, not a fan. Not a fan. Come on, Leclerc. Make it happen. Yeah. I'm, Actually, I'm, do you want to... I'm a big fan of the Ferrari boys. Mm. Like, both of them. I like Leclerc is... Leclerc is... He's, now the Vettel's <laughs> been fucked off. It's actually funny. I'm really, I'm really warming to Vettel in these later stages. Of wow. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. I mean, now that he's no longer alongside Mark Webber. Well, I mean, yes. Or, I mean, that was a... The entire country of Australia hated him think, for that. But I think that, you know, the more I think about that, I think that that's more, more about Christian Horner than it is about Sebastian yeah. Vettel. Is, is that Horner very much has his favourites and then he has his cast-offs. He's a bit like Shane Warne. He has his people yeah. and the ones yeah. who aren't. And, yeah, it's a but very do, good, good Yeah, very but good do, you know what, but do you know what's funny, though, is that... Oh. I like Leclerc and I like Sainz. Mm. I, really, I, I think Sainz in particular, when you... Um, you know, when you watch a lot of the stuff kind of behind the scenes, he just seems like a really nice guy. Yeah, really nice I'll, guy. I'll make this point. For, like, what's funny is that I think more than any other sport, Formula One attracts the dickheads. <laughs> like, if you think like the Michael Schumachers, the Lewis Hamiltons, the um, Ayrton Senna's, you know, a lot of these blokes were pretty ordinary human beings. But that is because you, as I was saying before, the whole. A Formula One performance that's ninety nine percent right, it still has a thousand things wrong with well, it. They have to be so driven, so determined. That's like, the word I'd use. I wouldn't necessarily say that they're. I would they say have to be selfish. Yeah, like they uh, that's, really that's have to be like so self. I'm not going to say that they're they're, they're bad shit blokes or anything like yeah. that. I'm just going to say that they're. Fo- it's a function of their. They're story. so focused on mastering their craft. Yeah. That a lot of these other things around the side just yeah. don't matter. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing I that I think is, uh, is that Michael Schumacher's son seems like he seems mm. like a rip and bite too. He seems very grounded, yeah, and very very genuine, very honest. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I'm I was really going to say is, he, I'm really hoping that he becomes successful in at Ferrari, please. Well, but, I would say that that will probably be yeah. the case. I mean, he's in the Ferrari Academy, and he's basically Ferrari are paying for his seat at Haas mm. at the moment, and he, to be honest, like. He, he performed very well in a car that was just terrible. Yeah. Just terrible. But the other... And I'll maybe close with this. If you want to know what kind of human beings they are, have a, there's this amazing clip, which is after... Was it Grosjean, I think, who hit the wall yeah. and, like, got pulled out of the fiery wreckage? Yeah. Have a listen to the bloke's reaction on the radio afterwards. There's a, a YouTube clip out there which plays yeah. all of the driver's reactions to it. Hamilton's is... Oh, great start, great start, disappointing. And then as an afterthought, oh, who's in the wreckage? Leclerc's is, oh, my God, please tell me he's okay. Please tell me well, he's okay. Like the, Danny Kvyat mm. is the one who's the most upset because yeah, he's the it's, one that was yeah, in the incident with him. Yeah. And he, he, you, like, you can almost hear him crying. Yeah. <laughs> And, yeah. And, and, yeah, it's Leclerc. And there was, yeah, it must have been him. But there's Leclerc, yeah. whereas Hamilton and... Oh, one of the other... It might have been Verstappen, but one of the other guys are just like, oh, what a great start. Oh, disappointing there's a safety car. Oh, who's hurt, by the way? Whereas, oh, that's the other one. Kimi Raikkonen. 
oh. who who they say like he speaks full sentences in English, which he never does. Like just you know, yeah. hoping and praying that he's okay. Yeah, like, Kimmy, Kimmy. <laughs> yeah, interesting character, Kimmy. Yeah, he's he's the poster boy for uh, what we were just saying, I still isn't remember, he? I still remember the hilarious. They did a press conference after Nancy's retirement, and Vetter and Ricardo. They asked him, "What are you going to remember the most about Kimmy?" And neither of them responded for about fifteen seconds, <laughs> and then they laughed, and then they said. That's what we're going to miss, the silence. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> That's how I, I, I'm warming to Vettel. Vettel, he seems to, I think, you know... It, he's it's another point. He's, he's, he's well, a bit he was, of a dick, but you I just think it was be. one of these things of Ferrari, the Ferrari situation, the pressure that he was under there, I think... You know, he's, he seems to have a new release of life at Aston Martin. Mm. And I really liked the fact that, you know, given everything that's going on in the world at the moment, the fact that he came out, he was the first one to come out and say before the, they F1 cancelled their Russian scenario, he literally came out and said, I'm not racing there. Ooh. Wow. He, he came out and said, I'm not going there. Doing a Daniel... Daniel Bryan and Kevin before, Owens re um, Saudi Arabia. Yeah, before he, before he, before any of this other stuff, he mm. just said, "Not, not going there." Yeah. And I mean, that takes, that takes, you know, a social lot, that things like that, and just last year after the Silverstone race, you know, him going around and cleaning up, picking up stuff from the mm. stands and all these types of things. Didn't have to do these types of things. Um, and most Formula One drivers, you know, he, you know, he's made a very, very big stand on um, equal rights yeah. for the, um, you know, for the, for the, all those communities. Like he, you know, the rainbow, you know, rainbow wearing a, the alphabet wear, people. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, you know, wearing a rainbow helmet in some of the places Ooh, where yeah. it's banned. I mean, yeah. stuff like that. It's just amazing, amazing. Yeah, that you would that he just. I love that you've said amazing because that's going to bring me to my last point, which I can't believe that I haven't mentioned this until now. But Timbo and I had the honour and privilege of watching the single greatest sporting event I have witnessed in my lifetime. You, you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, but I, it's... I, I, I was with you when we watched the 2018. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was pretty good. But no, look. <laughs> Rafa Nadal was 10 years older than his opponent. He'd been on court for an extra couple of hours. He was two sets to love down. He'd lost about 32 kilograms in sweat over those two sets. They talk about Marsh and Lily. Let's bring it full circle. Getting on Australia at 500 to 1 to, to lose at Headingley. Rafael Nadal was a 500 to 1 chance to win that match at the start of the third set. And then even more so when Medvedev had two break points against him early in the third, he came back to win his 21st Grand Slam. And all I could say after the match, and a shout-out to Timbo, who had the Dan Jackson feeling about it, who contacted me that afternoon preemptively and said, hey, do you want to watch the Rafa match tonight? And when I asked him about it afterwards, he said, I had a feeling that we had to watch it, which is usually... I've said that about the 2018 Grand Final. I've said that about the 2008 Grand Final. It was the best, the most incredible sporting moment I've ever watched. The the previous holder would have been Ben Stokes' century, so uh, the 153 not out. So I'm glad I got to see something that was actually someone I supported. But 
amazing. And that was all I could say at the end. Like, Timbo and I had about a 25-second man hug right over where we're recording this at the moment at my little side table. Amazing was the only word I could say. I don't know how he did it to this day. Like, I haven't gone back and watched the match in full. I've seen that some magnificent bastard has uploaded the whole thing, all 5 hours and 41 minutes of it, to YouTube. But at the start of that third set, I disengaged because I just watched the worst Royal Rumble pay-per-view of all time that morning, and I was just like, I can't handle the heartache of watching Rafa lose. You'll laugh at this. I was a bit... Yeah. Two sets down, I went, yeah. this is over. I, yeah. And I, and I had a... Oh, and it was more... I had an incredibly busy day at work following... Um, yeah, and that's what it was like. Mondays, it was like it's, when it's Mondays, a Sunday night for us yeah. here... I mean, my Mondays are carnage at work, Yeah, and so Mondays like, are a dick punch at the best of times. Um, so, I, yeah, and, just and, unbelievable. Unbelievable. One of the one of the guys at work said to me, said, you watched the match last night? I said, oh, well, I started. And they were, <laughs> I said, well, what happened? They said, the day one. I went, no. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. And, look, one of the things you often see in tennis is that the two blokes playing on court are never both playing really well at the same time. Tennis is such a game of ebbs and flows. It's usually one guy's at a very high level. The other guy's just off the boil. And the result of the match often dictates, is often dictated by who can maintain that high level for the longest amount of time. My heart broke for Daniel Medvedev because... He and Nadal both play... These are the, you know, two of the best three players in the world right now. The two best vaccinated players in the world right now. Both playing at the highest level for, like, the entire fourth and most of the fifth set. And against anyone else in the world, Medvedev doesn't drop a set. Against most other players in the world, he wins it in four to lose that match in five, it was the most heartbreaking loss I've seen since Andy Roddick lost 16-14 in the fifth set to Federer at Wimbledon, having not had his serve broken until the 30th game of the fifth set. And a giant fuck you to everyone who puts a tiebreaker in the fifth set now. No, it should be whoever's two games up. But I think everything you've always thought about Medvedev about being an absolute... Like, one of the most despised players amongst the fandom, I think he showed... The speech he gave after the match, Djurkovic couldn't have mustered up one-tenth of the humility and the poise and just the way he dealt with that loss. As Kipling said, if you can deal with victory and defeat and treat both those imposters the same, that's what being a good sport is all about. Mm -hmm. And I thought after the match, he was just pure class, all class. And I've always felt like he's a bit more of a pantomime villain than Djurkovic. Djurkovic is an absolute wanker. He is the shittest of shit blokes. Like... David Warner is on the top of that podium, but Djurkovic is, you know, second or third in there. But, yeah, exactly. He was the other bloke I was just thinking of. But Medvedev, I've always found, I think he plays up to that more to fire himself up, like to get his own competitive juices going. Yeah, exactly. Or the Kevin Peterson. You, you know, all the, the guys who actually want... All the Shane Warne. The guys who want that combative edge to their encounters because it gets them going, it fires them up. 
I thought he was pure class in the interview and everything he did after the match. And, yeah, a giant shout-out to him. You can't have a great match like that without there being a winner and a loser. And, yeah, to Rafa, just... You're amazing. All I can say is amazing. He's just... He's the best. Like, I'll always take Labour as the GOAT, but anyone who talks about Federer as the best of all time, no, 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 no. It's Rafa. No, no, no. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. But anyway. Do you want to know the scary thing? I think Djurkovic has more of a claim to be the best of all time than Federer does. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, but no, it's still Rocket Rod. But I mean... Two calendar slams, come on! Yeah, you can't... He would have won 25 if he hadn't turned professional. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Rafa, amazing. Uh, 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 Amazing. 